Well, good morning to you. If you're watching online, we're so thankful that you joined us. I know I tell you that every Sunday, but it never becomes less true. Uh, thank you for devoting some time to our service this morning. Uh, first and foremost, we do have a lot of visitors here. Caitlin's family. Uh, you have a good-looking family, sir. I mean, my goodness. Fantastic. Uh, we just want to welcome you guys. We have some other guests. Phil's brother's in town. I don't know if I should say that out loud, but as Grant said, he's the better-looking one with the beard. I didn't say that. I did not say that. But I, Grant, those were Grant's words. Phil, you never wanted to win a Kahoot so bad in your life, have you? <laughs> he feels like I gotta come in first place. I chose an awesome name today, Chicken Dinner, right? As in winner, winner, chicken dinner, and then I only answered the first question correctly. So, I mean, I answered some others, but by that point, it, it wasn't good. I was ready for my dad joke award to come in, but I spent the entire week at camp, uh, Centrifuge, GA campers. We've got a couple of them here in the morning. The other ones are probably comatose. Guys, there's nothing, and I do mean nothing in the world, to make you realize that you are old. Uh, better than spending a week at camp with some middle schoolers and high school kids. I played a three-on-three -three, uh, basketball tournament with Patrick and Tyler. Uh, we got like we got to the final four uh, before we realized, as I said on Facebook, that Tyler was the only basketball player on our team. Uh, it hurts to breathe when you're on the court. I don't know if you know that. Pretty much every other movement causes pain as well. So if I slur my speech today or I seem like I'm out of it, just know it's because I am. Um, but God will shine through. So today we are continuing our series, The I and Team. We are looking at important parts of being a team. And so today we're going to look at open and free communication. Now, when Jerick and I first got married, I worked overnights for two years. And uh, it was awful for a number of reasons. I know that there are some people out there that work nights and have enjoyed nights, but they're weird. Okay? They're weird. Looking at you there, Jake. Uh, but the, re the reason the, that I hated it, the reason that I hated working overnights the most is one of the reasons I think that a lot of people actually like it, and that's because I was cut off from the rest of the world, right? Like when you work overnights, you get left alone a lot. And as long as you're not just doing anything glaringly awful, you can almost get away with everything. It's, it's the truth. But I hated it because I was a part of this team, except I really wasn't. I was always learning things secondhand. Uh, sometimes I would not learn things at all, uh, or I would learn them after I got in trouble for not doing something correctly. What we had was a failure to communicate. Great movie. If you haven't seen it and you're young, don't look at it. Uh, when breakdowns in communication exist, what happens is that people, team members, become incredibly disenfranchised, or at least it becomes really easy to get disenfranchised with the team that you're on. When you don't feel connected, when you don't feel like you're a part of it, when you don't feel like your opinion matters, when no one is hearing you or listening to you or talking to you, it just becomes really easy to kind of feel separated and separate yourself from that team. Good teams communicate well. Great teams communicate exceptionally. And exceptional communication is honest and it's free. We're going to look at various passages throughout Scripture today as we discuss this. We're going to start in Psalms chapter 13. Psalms is filled with just absolutely beautiful, raw, at times gut-wrenching uh, examples of free and honest communication. You have people not only 
praising God and pouring their heart out to him to say thank you, but also people who are extremely angry with God, people who feel like God has abandoned them, people who feel like they have been left behind. And so you see sorrow just as much as you see joy. Psalm 13 is one of those examples. It's a Psalm of David. And he says, how long, Lord? And Ty begins, it's a really powerful first line. How long, Lord? Because the Lord knows what David's talking about. The Lord is in tune with David. He knows exactly the frustrations that David has. David realizes that, but he just starts out with how long? How long? And he goes on, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. This line right here, the start verse three, I don't know if there's any Harry Potter fans in the, in the auditorium. I am a huge Harry Potter nerd, love the books, love the movies. But there is this scene. There is this scene in one of the movies where it, it's kind of like the whole time uh, they learn about this connection that Harry has with Voldemort. And so Dumbledore doesn't want to talk to Harry at all because he thinks that if Voldemort, the bad guy, knows that there's this connection, he'll abuse it to, to spy on everybody, right? To, to abuse Harry, to hurt him, to harm him. And throughout this whole time, all Harry wants, and you can relate to this even if you're not a Harry Potter fan, but all Harry wants is to just be seen and to be heard. He has this relationship with Dumbledore that he has come to rely on, that he has come to love. He's looked at Dumbledore almost as a father figure because if you know the books, you know that his father died at a young age. And that was kind of that relationship that he had. And all of a sudden it was cut off and it was cut off with no explanation. There was no communication between the two as to why it happened. And there's this point where he has seen this vision of one of his friend's dads being attacked. And so he, he goes, he knows it's real. And he goes to Dumbledore and he's telling the story. And the whole time Dumbledore is like talking to him without actually talking to him. He's kind of talking around him. And there's this really powerful scene where Harry just fed up and distraught and not knowing why he be, he's ignored, yells at everybody. And he just says, look at me. And it, everybody gets startled. Everybody jumps. I say all that to say David's in the same scenario. He's had this great relationship with God where God has looked out for him. They've been tight-knit. They've been close. God has been leading him throughout his life and, and giving him this guidance. And here he feels like God's abandoned him. God's nowhere to be found. God has turned away his face from him. God has removed his blessing. And so in verse 3, he's, I can almost see him yelling out to God, look at me and answer. Look at me and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes. He's asking for hope or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. There's a really important verse that ends this passage in verse five. But I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. You see, David is forthright. He is honest. He is open. But yet, he still has a strong enough to connection to, with God to know his character and to know who it is that he's talking to. And so, yes, he expresses his frustration, but he also expresses his faith. My question to you is, how many of you knew that you could talk to God like this? 
How many of you knew that you could be this open and this honest with God? Some of you have probably been this way, but kind of been this way while looking for the lightning bolt to like get you. Smite me, almighty smiter, right? We're trying, I'm going to yell at God, but I'm going to try to dodge this bullet when it comes. But this is the type of open and free communication that we get to have with our creator. Aren't we always supposed to just be happy? Aren't we always supposed to just be thankful? I'll tell you a story about my niece. Before we left for camp, the weekend before we, our lives are crazy. Everybody knows that. We kind of just pile things on. Sometimes we add stuff more to it. But the week before we left for camp, the weekend, we had our nieces, our two nieces, London and Maggie, stay over. And they stayed over to, for a sleepover. Cordelia had been asking for, for a while, and it kind of just worked. The timing worked, and so we were like, okay, we have time. We're going to do it. So London and Cordelia are off doing their own thing, and Maggie and Winifred play together really well, which kind of scares me because Maggie is sort of like a baby version of Rambo. She's just uh, insane and unstoppable, and frankly, I love her for it. But I'm sitting in the living room, and Maggie and, and Winifred are playing, and they come out into the living room, and they... They look at me, and it had been raining that morning, and Maggie, she has a list, bless her heart. It's so beautiful. I'm telling you, it's the cutest thing ever. And she goes, Uncle Paul, and I said, yes. She goes, we are going to go outside and check the grass and see if the grass is wet, and if it's not too wet, we're going to play outside. And I said, okay, perfect. So I hear the siding door open, and I hear it slam as hard as it can possibly slam because nothing shows their strength like a young child and with a sliding glass door, right? And so they go out and literally it's like a minute and a half. The door flies open, boof, and then it slams shut, boom. And they come in and I say, oh, what happened? And Winifred says, it was sprinkling. And Maggie goes, it was sprinkling outside and pretty soon it's going to wane really hard and so we can't play because of God. <laughs> and I thought that was it. But then as she's walking away, she says this, he makes really terrible decisions. <laughs> and that's when I got like ready to dodge, like I'm weaving. I'm like, oh, here comes the lightning. I'm going to dive out of the way, right? But that was the honesty of a child. It was the brutal, unfiltered honesty of a child. She meant no harm to God. She had no insult in her heart. She just felt like, hey, sometimes God doesn't make good decisions. They don't align with how I want them to align. I wanted to play outside, but I know that's not going to happen. And in her mind, God is in control of all these things because he's in control of all things. And so he makes really bad decisions. But it was a moment that I think I'll always remember, one, because it was absolutely hysterical, and two, because Scripture also often points us to children. Right? If we don't approach Jesus like a child, we are going to miss out on things. And sometimes if we don't approach God with the honesty of a child, we are not going to have the fullness of the relationship that we can have with him. And we must be honest and we must be open. You know, we go back to Psalm 13. David didn't seem like everything was kosher. He used the phrase, how long? Four times. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? How long do I have to wrestle alone? How long will I be defeated? David is depressed. David is down. It doesn't get any lower for how David feels. And David is petitioning for deliverance. Free me. 
Free me. Look on me and answer. Free me. See, this is powerful because of what it teaches us about communication. Psalm 13. David petitions God for deliverance because he believes God will act. Verse 5 again. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he is good to me. If we want open communication, people have to believe that their petitions will be heard and that change is possible. Hear me, I'm not always going to say that you're going to agree with every argument that arises, right? You have a stance, somebody argues with it, you automatically switch over. That almost, I won't say almost never happens, but, but usually you believe what you believe because you think it's right. But if there is to be open and com- and honest communication in our relationships, people have to believe that they will be heard. And not only that they will be heard, but that there's a possibility for you to see things from their point of view. It's the only way that it arises. And our teams have to have this. Our teams have to have this. You see, great teams aren't filled with a bunch of immovable people. Great teams are not filled with a bunch of people who say, this is how it's going to be because this is how I want it to be, and I'm not moving regardless of what you bring to me. What happens when people are like that? What happens when people are like that is that people begin to shut down. Because what happens instead of open and free communication is that they're going to keep it to themselves, right? And then it becomes this storm that just builds up inside of them until they reach a breaking point. And it comes out in one or two ways. They either explode at you or they leave. They either explode at you or they leave. And people, believe it or not, have left our church because of things that they wanted our church to be doing that we weren't doing. But I can honestly say that in almost every single one of those scenarios, with the exception of one, I didn't find out about those things. Our leadership team didn't find out about those things until they had already become disenfranchised and they had already left. And there was no hope to repair that relationship because the damage had already been done. But only one party had really realized what was going on. And so people become disenfranchised and the connection between team members dissolves. And so then Ephesians 4.25 has a very powerful piece of advice. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You see, when you're all focused on one goal, as teams usually are, right? As teams usually will have a central focus, When you all have that central focus, then you owe it to one another to be open and honest in your communication. Deceit, deceit, hear me out. Deceit in communication can be overt. You can purposefully lie to people, but deceit can also be because of omission, because of things that went unsaid. And on the surface level, everything looks good. You're still smiling at them. You're still feeling great about things. They think that everything's going well, and then you disappear. Or then you explode. And all of a sudden, things were going really great, and now they're going really bad, and the person is left really confused. 
and the team is in shambles. Things going unsaid is far more dangerous to a team than conflict. Apply it to every team you're a part of, your marriage, work, church, your relationship with your kids. Things going unsaid is far more dangerous to a team than conflict. Teams that are filled with a bunch of people who are afraid to fight for the things that they believe in go nowhere and they end up doing nothing. Conflict, when done right, is like an arborist pruning away dead limbs. Everybody know what an arborist is? Some of you younger folks probably don't. So an arborist is a tree doctor. Didn't know that was a thing. Maybe you did, because you're smarter than I was at your age. You're smarter than I was before I started writing this sermon. There is a thing, and the fancy word is arborist, but they are a tree doctor. And their whole job is to make trees live. Be free, tree. Be beautiful. Grow tall. Grow strong. I have found in life, by accident, that arborists do wonders for fruit trees. My grandparents' yard has a ton of fruit trees in it, and they had this tree that had been struck by lightning or the wind blew a limb off, what, I don't know, half of it died and it was on the ground and it sat there for like a year. And slowly on like the left side of the tree at the very top, there were like two green leaves, but the rest of it looked like it was dying and dead. And it took me a long time to get over there to take care of it. But eventually I got over there. I was able to chop the part of the tree that was dead off, take it to the burn pile. And I'm driving out to their house like a week later. And I look over and the tree is completely, completely bloomed out. There's green leaves everywhere. Huh. I'm an arborist. I'm a tree doctor. Not on purpose. But conflict for that tree was a good thing. I mean, I came at that thing with an axe. Okay, I didn't have a chainsaw because that would require me to buy a chainsaw, and I don't have that type of money. But I did have an axe that my grandpa's had forever. And the thing was not sharp. <laughs> it was blunt. But it was still an axe. And so I figured out if I swing this thing hard enough, I can cut off this limb. And after about 30 minutes in a back that was like, you're fat and old, stop it. Uh, the limb severed. Conflict was good for that tree because it pruned away the stuff that was dying. It got rid of the damage. It moved beyond the conflict that it had to grow into something better. Conflict is necessary. It builds healthy teams. It allows for the pruning of those things that take away from us being healthy. So conflict, when done right, like I said, is like an arborist pruning away dead limbs so that a tree can grow healthy. And it is required. Conflict is required for strong teams. You see, you can't expect anyone to address a problem that they have no idea exists. If you have an issue with me and you never say it, don't expect me to know because I have strong self-esteem most days and I usually think that people love me. So if you don't tell me otherwise, then I am not gonna see it. Here's another thing. We can't lie to our teammates. Oftentimes we think that we're not saying something and that we're doing a really good job of hiding it, but they can still feel the conflict. Jeremiah 23, 24, who can hide in secret places so I cannot see them? 
declares the Lord. This is Yahweh speaking. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. You see, God sees all and God knows all. And so if you're a conflict with him, it's one of those things like when you're a parent, you have a little kid and they're mad at you and they're huffing around and they're stomping and you know what's wrong, but you're still waiting for them to come and talk to you and, and tell you what's going on. I think God looks at us that way sometimes and he knows you're upset and he knows why you're mad, but he's still waiting on that communication piece. He's still waiting for the openness and the honesty to come from you so that he can prune away the things that need to be pruned away and make your relationship healthy again. But see why God sees all and God knows all. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, your church family, they aren't God. They aren't God. And unless you have one of those faces and you know what type of face I'm talking about where it's like, how are you doing? I'm great. Right? Where like the people tell you everything just by this. And so like, I'm great. And you're like, no, you're about to kill me. Right? Unless you have one of those faces, they're not going to know that you need something from them that they aren't providing. And so you're never giving them the opportunity to provide it. The next thing that we have to learn about honest and free communication is that it requires diligent and longing listeners. Diligent and longing listeners. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, teams thrive off of two-way communication. Two-way communication is when a sender sends a message, a receiver receives it, and will send back a message in response to make sure that they heard everything clearly. We have to listen to learn and not just to respond. It's been something in my life that I have struggled with greatly. We have to listen to learn and not just to respond. But as senders, we also have to be receivers. That's what good communication is all about. It is about sending and receiving messages. And sometimes we're sending messages that we just want to be received. We don't want to receive anything back. And so like we shut that part off, right? This is how I feel. You better hear it. You better change. And they have something to say in response. And you're just like, don't hear a word, cone of silence or whatever the thing is. We have to be able to do both. Now, I had a clip that I wanted to be prepared. Is it prepared? We're going to go ahead and show this. Here's a breakdown of communication. I want you, I, I was going to tell a story. This is better. Let's take a look. First, there was PlayStation, a.k.a. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360 comes Xbox One. Why one? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. Can you get the butter, please? You know, however, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. Then get the other one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek looking. No way! It's true, but the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, see, well, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included? Yes. 
not sold separately. You, although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? <laughs> See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Oh, wait a second. Who's they? The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? See, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the butter! <laughs> Sometimes, people just want you to pass the butter. Sometimes all they want from you is the butter. But you're so busy seeing your problem only that you completely miss it. You see, successful teams work with one another and for one another. They care about their comrades. Dedicating yourself to listening does a number of things. First, it shows the other team member that they matter to you. It shows that their thoughts and their ideas are important to you. It also shows that you're flexible and you're dedicated to working together. Two-way communication is extremely important in teams. Finally, last thing I have for you today, good Christian communicators, and I feel like I do have to attach the word Christian. This is good communicators in general, but for us, it's very important. The fact that we are Christians, the fact that we have a connection to Christ changes us. For good Christian communicators, they assume the best in people. Good Christian communications assume the best in people. We should assume people, especially our fellow Christians, desire good especially when it comes to conflict. We should make the assumption that they desire good because as Christians, if they desire God, God would desire for them to desire good. You may not always agree with a dissenting opinion. You may not always agree with somebody who doesn't think exactly the way that you do, but you should assume that they have taken the stance that they have taken because they feel like it is a good stance to take. Because they feel like it is a godly decision. And this, I think, may shock some of us, but you can have two godly decisions battling one another. You can have two people that desire good, that desire godly things, battling one another for the supremacy or for the choice of having their decision be the one that is made. It's possible. Philippians 4, 5, it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Greek word for gentleness is epikis. Epikis. And it suggests a forbearing, non-retaliatory spirit. How many of us communicate with a non-retaliatory spirit? How many of us, when we're arguing with our spouse and they're like, hey, you've been doing this lately and it's been driving me nuts, you're like, well, you want to know what you've been doing? You're the wrong one. I'm justified. I see a bunch of husbands laughing because that's usually the one that do it. 
You get in this argument, and you automatically are like, oh, you want to throw knives? I've got swords. They're going to come back at you. I throw really hard. We're not assuming the best in people. We assume that they want to tear us down. We assume that they're trying to hurt our feelings. We assume that because they obviously don't agree with my idea that somehow they think I'm stupid. We look at people who don't think like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us, don't walk like us, don't do things like we do things as they're bad. That's our first inclination. And it shouldn't be. When you communicate with others, conflict will arise. What is your response? Are you automatically defensive? Do you seek their point of view? And do you weigh it for its merit? Because that's what we should do. Galatians 6.1 talks about our response to others when we're called out. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, gently, with forbearing, without a mind to get retaliation or justice. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. You see, if you're the person with the grievance, how are you approaching it? Like we said, it's two-way communication. There's one person that's grieved. There's another person who caused the grieving. How are both parties approaching conflict? Because the goal of conflict should be to overcome that conflict. It should be to find resolution. It should be to, to get common ground and figure out where one or both of you might be better. Teams absolutely need it. But if you're the person with the grievance and you're angry and you're unpleasant and you're out for blood, you're going to cause some serious damage and you're going to break the bonds that hold your team together. You see, as I've said multiple times, communication will cause conflict, but it does not have to cause chaos. It will cause conflict. It does not have to cause chaos. If we're committed to approaching each other in a manner that seeks resolution and repair, in a manner that says, I will be gentle and I will be kind, I will be godly, then we have a chance to really build something special. Communication must always be entered with a clear target in mind. And that clear target is to get better, not to become angry. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you because you are a God of communication. You have made sure that there are ways to know who you are, how you think, what you want us to know. You give us your revelation through the word. You still speak to us because you are an active and living God. Lord, may we have the same spirit that Jesus had when he was talking to the woman at the well. One that looks at people as future brothers and sisters in Christ. One that sees value where value 
cannot be taken away. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be open to dissenting opinions, to people who don't think exactly the way that we think. Help us to judge points of view off of their merit and not just because they are different than ours. Break us of things that we need to be broken of. Cut away that which is dead and dying so that we can flourish. Help us to understand that conflict does not have to cause chaos and that it can be a very, very good thing for us in life on the different teams that we are a part of and in the different relationships that we have. At the end of the day, God, the only thing that we want to do is to point others back to you, to show others that you are God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be standing down front. Some of you out there today need to make a decision. That decision, as we learned about at camp this week, was to willfully follow God, not just say words, not just speak things because we can speak them, but to make the decision to change our will to obey God. And you need to have a relationship with God and you don't. And if that's you today, I want you to come up here. I want you to talk to me about that. If you've made a decision, you need to share that with your congregation. This time is also for you. If you need prayer, that is why I'm here. That is frankly why I do the job that I do. It's the best thing about ministry is that I get to be in relationship with people and I get to intercede on their behalf with God. If there's something you need prayer about, come tell me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Otherwise, stand now. Use this time to bring an offering to God.